Hey, thanks for joining us online today. I'm Kevin, lead pastor here at Thrive Church. Have you ever met somebody who's become cynical? Like as they got older, they became more cynical. It's not skeptical. It's not, you know, being a little doubtful, but cynical, meaning that they see nothing positive the older they get. Everything is almost like in this Christmas season, bah humbug. Well, during this series called A Grinchy Christmas, we want to show you how we, how we become cynics. Maybe you're becoming a cynic and you're realizing it and you don't like uh, the fact that you're becoming more negative as you get older because of life experiences. We want to show you, and we're going to look at the Grinch because this happened to him as a hopeful young little Grinch. He became what we know, uh, have known as the Grinch. We want to show you how we can become cynics and then the cure for this disease called cynicism how we can move back to having hope again as individuals, how, how we can be healed from our hurts. And so I hope you enjoy this series uh, called A Grinchy Christmas, and I pray that God would heal your heart and help you to destroy cynicism and build hope again in your life. Good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? All right. Good to be with you guys today. Um, if you just joined us, we're actually in week three of a series called A Grinchy Christmas, and uh, we've been talking about cynicism and how that can creep into our hearts. And if you have your copy of God's Word, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 8 this morning. Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 8. Well, I want an honest confession. You may not believe this. Maybe you will believe this. If you do, then um, I need to have a talk after service. But when I was younger, when I was in college uh, for ministry, I was actually a jerk. I was a, I know some of you are shocked. Like, you could be a jerk. I was a spiritual jerk. That's a different type of jerk, right? Because that's the type that, like, nobody can be as spiritual as I can. Nobody can do it and follow Jesus like I do. Well, here's what happened. So when I gave my life to Christ, um, I was around 18, 19 years old, and I ended up touring in a band. I just got kicked out of uh, East Carolina University. Uh, they told me to never come back again, and so uh, I could not go back there. So anyway, I worked, I toured, and so about four, four or five years, that's what I did. That was my ministry. And over time, I, I really grew in Christ uh, you know, as part of small groups, as part of uh, teaching teams, have done things. And so anyway, I felt called to ministry. And so I ended up going to college when I was uh, around 24 years old. And I went with my best friend, who was a few years younger, and we lived in a dorm together there at college. Well, at college, guess what age most people are when they go to college? They're 18. They're not 24. And so at that Christian college there, there were a lot of 18-year-old guys. I'm 24. I had been working a full-time job. I already been to, been to some college. I had a lot, a lot of life experience. I had toured in a band. And when I went there, I was all about the mission of Jesus. I mean, I'm talking, man, it was all about Jesus. Like, I took Greeks. I was up every morning at 6 a.m., had a class at 8 a.m. every morning. I was studying every night. I was doing youth ministry. Man, I was leading a Bible study down in the commons area and worship. I was leading a prayer group. And when I, and when I looked at these other college students, they just, didn't, they just didn't have the same focus of priority that I had in that time in my life. And I'll be honest, I looked at them. I thought, they don't love Jesus. They don't care about Jesus. They're worthless. Like, this is what I thought. I was like, they borrowed their faith. Like, I, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't have youth groups. I didn't have any of that stuff. Like, I, I gave my life to Christ, man. I was all in. I was like, these jokers here don't care. These guys here, they don't love Jesus. And I was, not only did I think that, but I actually treated them in a jerky manner. As a matter of fact, I had to go back, and actually, I apologized to people on social media. I sent messages that, hey, I just want to apologize. I was a real jerk in college at Emmanuel. Will you please forgive me? 
Of course, I mean, they're very gracious. Oh, yeah, we were all young. We were all this and that. But what had happened was this. There were people in college there that are now missionaries that are friends of mine. There are people in college that I did not like that are actually friends now today that are doing great things for Jesus. Most of those people that I judged and I wrongly judged and I treated badly and I had a cynical heart toward, they're following Jesus and their families are following Jesus. And they're, most of them, weren't, some of them were in ministry. They were just, they attend a local church and they're helping you know, further the mission of Jesus through that. But my cynicism toward that group of people, those 18-year-old little, they don't care, that was separating me from relationships that could actually help me. Relationships that God would see in the future that would be critically important to the mission of Jesus and even to my life. And I want to submit to you today that we've been talking about cynicism, right, and how it creeps in. Remember, remember we said that every cynic starts as hopeful, and you can't be a cynic unless you started as hopeful. You can be a skeptic, and you can be cautious, but you can't be a cynic. And every person who turned cynical was hopeful about something at some point. And we've been talking about how that cynicism creeps into our heart and what it does to us. Last week was how it affects our language. We're just negative and bitter to everybody. We're like Scrooge. We say, bah, humbug. Well, here's what else it does. It actually robs you of the greatest resource that God has given you as a follower of Jesus. And that's relationships in the body of Christ. And I want to talk to you about that today. I want us to unpack what cynicism does to that key resource. And what we're going to do is gain perspective from the Grinch in the Bible. Remember, we've been studying the Grinchiest book in the Bible, and that book is Ecclesiastes. Because Solomon started as this young, hopeful king. He wrote a book called The Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. It was all about love. It's all about marriage. It's all about just intimacy. And, man, he was on fire for this Shumalite woman, right? He was like sync, Backstreet Boys, and New Direction, wherever it's called, all in one book about this lady. I mean, it's just all about it. Hopeful. The second book he wrote is a book called Proverbs, all about wisdom. And he had a hope that wisdom and knowledge and understanding and seeking these things could change people's lives, which it can. He was the wisest man ever. He had hope that it could change everything. But being a king, he had to make some tough decisions. Being a king... He also probably saw things that were tragic. Somewhere along the line, Solomon became cynical. We know that because of the book of Ecclesiastes. Sorry, I say that three times fast. Some of y'all are trying to do it. Don't do it. I'm preaching. Relationships in his life. Do you know that Solomon was the only king who did not have a prophet in his life? Like all the Old Testament kings had like that prophet that kept them in line. The prophet said, hey, man, you're messed up. Remember David messed up? He had Samuel and he had Nathan. And Nathan said, hey, man, you're the guy who's done all this evil. David's like, oh, you're right. Lord, help me. Solomon had no prophetic voice, per se, in his life. He didn't have key relationships. And I don't know exactly why, but he didn't have it. And we do know that he became uber cynical the older that he got. And I want you to look what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 9, about relationships and about people and about all of this stuff here. And I love at one point you're going to see a glimmer of hope, and then he will quickly snuff that out. It says in verse 9 of chapter 8, he says, I have thought deeply about all that goes on here under the sun. So Solomon, as an older man, had been really musing about life. He'd been sitting on the porch of his, his castle, drinking some coffee and thinking about, you know what, all that I've seen. All that I've researched, and he says this, 
He says, where people have the power to hurt each other. Solomon thought about relationships. He probably thought about his dad, David, and about his brother, Absalom. He probably thought about all the things he had seen. And what he really began to, what his soapbox is going to be is about relationships and how people can hurt each other. He says, I've seen wicked people buried with honor. We've seen that. Yet they were the very ones who frequented the temple and now are praised in the same city where they committed their crimes. This too is meaningless. Remember the one key word for Ecclesiastes is meaningless. Uh, in our Christmas language, it's bah humbug. <laughs> that was Sol- Solomon's language there. He says, when a crime is not punished quickly, people feel it's safe to do wrong. But even though a person sins a hundred times and still lives a long time, I know, watch this, look at the hope he has. I know that those who fear God will be better off. The wicked will not prosper for they do not fear God. Their days will never grow long like the evening shadows. And this is not all that is meaningless in our world. And then he just switches gears. He says, in this life, good people are often treated as though they were wicked. And wicked people are often treated as though they were good. And then he ends it, ends it with this. This is so meaningless. He actually had a glimmer of hope. He's like, hey, I know that in the end, God's justice will reign. Then he's like, oh, you know, it's all meaningless. Oh, why even think about that? And he talks about relationships how people can hurt each other, the relationships we have with each other. And cynicism, and one of the greatest forms of even if you look at the, the definition of it, comes from having a distrusting point of view of people. Not just an institution, not just a society, but it's when you've been hurt so many times and you've seen so much, like Solomon had seen so much, he was just like, it's all meaningless. And for you, where is that in your life? Where is it that maybe you've uh, experienced disappointment or unmet expectations or brokenness or hurt after hurt after hurt after hurt with relationships? And you're like, you know what? I'm done with it. I'm done with friendships. Come friends with these people and they talk behind your back, right? I'm done with marriage, you know, right? I said these vows and it's just all in it. I'm done. Can't trust a man or woman anymore. I can't trust them anymore. Maybe it's church. Tried and I've tried in church, and every time I get hurt everywhere I go. Where is it for you where cynicism has been built because of relationships? Because the key is to the kingdom is our relationships, and God wants you to have healthy spiritual relationships in your life. That's his goal for you. But here's what happens, and write this in your notes. If you have your notes handy, write this down. This is, this is key. Unchecked cynicism isolates us from key relationships. Unchecked cynicism. When you, when you don't really check your heart, when you don't really look at where is that cynicism and how deep that is, the number one thing that I've heard this week from so many people, and we've heard uh, from many of you, is that, you know what? I began to check my heart of where cynicism was at. I actually traced some things back. I began to do some research in my heart, and I allowed God to show me where that cynical part of my heart is. I didn't even know it was there. And when we don't check that cynicism, you actually cut off key relationships. Solomon never had a prophet in his life to keep him in line. Solomon was wise, but he followed every passion that he wanted to. A lot of wisdom, a lot of knowledge, a lot of understanding, but no restraint. He didn't have that key relationship. And when it comes to us following Jesus... For you and I, it is relationships. 
You know, I was pondering on this this week and was talking with our campus pastor at Richmond yesterday about it who's delivering this message today. And I said, it's just interesting because, you know, the way we phrase things in Christianity, we actually kind of water down Christianity to make it the same as other religions. And here's why. why. We'll say, okay, I'm going to accept Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, right? And you should do that. I mean, that's what you do is you personally make a decision. Like, that's why, again, Christianity can't be legislated to everybody to follow Jesus. You can't. It's not rules. It's relationship, right? And so you make that decision. But here's where we go wrong. Especially in America, you may accept Christ personally as your Savior, but this is not an individual religion. Christianity is a team sport. It's not golf or tennis. And what we do is we think we can follow Jesus by ourselves. We think that with an individual, independent decision I made, so I'm individual and independent. Paul actually says, you are baptized into the body of Christ. Like by his spirit, we are all in the same family. And you are utterly and dependently connected upon other believers. More than you would ever like to know or admit. And so what cynicism does, the enemy of our souls actually separates us from key relationships that God puts in our life to free. But if God wants to bless you and further you, he'll put a person in your life. God just doesn't give you a book to get better. Hey, here's a book. I don't, I don't mean the Bible when I say that. I mean a book. God sends people. You know, God didn't somehow gather 12 disciples through an epiphany and just an angel shows up and says, Hey, guys, come together. Come on in. All of you come here. And they'll come close and say, Look, here's a book. Read it and be really good. Go do cool things. And the angel goes away and they have a book and they go do it. That's not what happened. You know what happened? God sent his son. God became flesh and dwelt among us, and he got with 12 guys and did relationship with them. He trained them. He had lecture. I said this earlier, and it would come out right here, and he had, he had laboratory. Jesus would teach them. They said, all right, boys, come here. You go out and heal the sick now. You go out and cast out demons, and then come back, and let's talk about it. They're like, yeah, a couple times it went well. Then one time, like, yeah, we couldn't really, uh, this one was really tough. What do we do here, Jesus? Like, you know, it's relationship. And what we have done is we've made Christianity this independent, individual thing where I can watch a preacher, listen to music, and I am doing what God's called me to do. And if, you're, if you don't have key relationships in the body of Christ, you are crippled as a believer. And the enemy of your, of, of your souls wants you to, to still replay that hurt so much that you never invest in another relationship because of what happened. It's so important. See, cynicism will make you bitter. It will take offense and make you angry. And it will cause you to not forgive other people. As we said last week, it keeps you in your own prison. And here's one of the, the key elements you have to understand is that God places people in your life to unlock the things that you need. Think about the Grinch. He had the Who's there with Whoville and Cindy Lou and all those precious little Who's that looked so weird. <laughs> they were so joyful. And he hated them and wanted nothing to do with them. And he was convinced that they were the enemy because of cynicism. And that's what it does to us. And we don't check our cynicism. That's what happens. Matter of fact, my son, he's four. He'll be five soon. And, and I teach him all these one-liners. I don't know why. I just think it's cool, right? So 
One is it's all good in the neighborhood like it should, like he says that, right? It's just, and then what he learned from, from Isabel is you get what you get and you don't pitch a fit, right? Like he has these one-liners, I'm just, we're just all building into them. And then so yesterday we're with his aunt and uncle from New York, and uh, they come in. I said, hey, you ready, Dawson? And he smiled, I said, tell him, you better. He says, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> My wife's like, what are you teaching him? I was like, just keep leaving him alone with me. That's what we do. <laughs> He's going to be great when he gets to kindergarten, right? <laughs> but that's the same thing that's true with our relationships. If we don't check our cynicism, our cynicism will wreck the very things that God has for us. And so then it sounds funny. That's why we have to check cynicism because it will destroy that. And this is, this is something that's important to us at Thrive. You say, well, man, you, you, know, you guys talk about relationships and, and relationship and, and the social aspect of Christianity probably more than any church that I've heard, and here's why. One of our values is called Mills, M-E-A-L-S. The early church shared in Mills together. They did life together. It wasn't just come and listen and leave. It was listen and then let's go do life together because we desperately need each other in this thing. And they actually needed each other to, to, to survive because the Jews and some of the guys cut them off from resources they even needed. And so I, we believe that relationships are key here at Thrive. We say all the time, you can follow Jesus for yourself, but you can't follow Jesus by yourself. I mean, you stay here long enough, you're going to hear this stuff over and over. You think, is this guy repeating himself? I am. Yes, I am. Because it's a value of our church and we want you to act upon it. But it's not just important to us as a church and important to me. I didn't come up with it. Actually, Jesus did. So one of the principles you have to understand when it comes to bitterness and cynicism and unforgiveness is this, and this is so key, because remember, Christianity is not this individual, independent thing you're just doing by yourself and on your own, and other people kind of need it if necessary. It's not that. Realize that if you're at odds with people, you're at odds with God. You can write that down in your notes. If you're at odds with people, you're actually at odds with God. Isn't that crazy? There's no other religion that teaches that. See, every other religion is individualistic, even though it's corporate. Christianity, there is no individualism, independence there. You're dependent upon each other. And when it comes to the social aspect, if you are at odds with people, you're at odds with God. Meaning if you have anger and unforgiveness and bitterness and offense with someone else, and Realize it takes time to work through it. You don't ask, you know, God, please help me forgive them, and then, you're, and then you're free. Just realize that. It takes years sometimes. But if you're not wrestling with that, and you walk around with those things, and you're just like, ugh, 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 and you're like the Grinch toward it, then you actually have an issue with God. And here's what Jesus said about it. Matthew 5, it says this, 23. He says, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice at the altar. Get up from church. Leave church. You, you, I mean, don't literally leave right now. We'll be out in a few minutes, right? And you can do that. <laughs> and be reconciled to that person. Then come offer your sacrifice to God. The gospel just doesn't reconcile us to God through Jesus, that we're made right and we're right with God. The gospel is meant to reconcile us with people too. The gospel is not just God forgives you. The gospel is now I can forgive others. The gospel is not just vertical. It's also horizontal. And we have to realize that because the very scriptures I'm telling you, Satan knows those scriptures too. 
And he wants you to live not forgiving. He wants you to do the exact opposite of what Jesus says. And he wants you to be at odds with God. That's the whole mission of the enemy of our souls. Be at odds. We have to check that cynicism. Check yourself before you. You'll never forget it, right? Wreck yourself. So how do we do it? And here's your next step. Here's what you and I have to do, and I'll unpack this and explain it. But choose to see people through their potential, not their past. Choose to see people through their potential, not their past. Now, let me take a time out real quick. Take a deep breath. Go, okay? Just don't breathe at your neighbor in case you didn't, uh, you know, you drink coffee. Just breathe down. Breathe down. Time out. Disclaimer. I'll give a second for silence, and here's why. I want your brains to recalibrate before I jump into this. Here's what I'm not saying. Because many people will come to me and say, now, are you saying this? Here's what I'm not saying. If you're being abused, if you have someone stealing from you, lying, cheating, over and over again, what I'm not saying is be a naive person that just keeps getting run over and just keeps getting beaten. That's not what I'm saying. So, you know, if you have exhibit A and exhibit A continues to do this, you can love them from a distance while they work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. To be at peace with someone doesn't mean you have to be in partnership with them. Does that make sense? So I want you to understand what I'm not saying first. Here's what I am saying, and we'll unpack this at a greater level. What we cannot do is make people in general pay for what somebody else has done. You can't make people pay what other people, other people have done. When you look at humanity When you look at people, remember last week I said that that pastor had lost hope in humanity, that decent people even existed? He lost hope in that? I told you last week that I loved it, that we're pastors are hope dealers, not dope dealers, and many of you really enjoyed that. That that's what happens, and here's what we have to do when we look at individuals as believe in their potential, not just their past. Because we want to mark people by what they've done, not what they can become. And you know how I know that? There's a disciple. You've heard this before. I'm going to say it again. His name was Thomas. What's his nickname? Come on, church. Doubting, doubting Thomas. You probably, if you've not even been in church, you've heard, oh, he's a doubting Thomas. Well, you know, Jesus was there, and, and he shows up, and they couldn't believe that he resurrected. It was like, really? We're expecting this? And Thomas is like, I don't know if I believe this unless you show me, which I would have done the same thing, and that was smart because he did. Hey, it's me. There's, there's no tricks here. And Thomas went on not to believe Thomas went on, as as tradition and history tell us, to go to India and share the gospel and do great works in India. Thomas is in heaven right now with Jesus. He is in heaven. He believed, and he changed the world. But what do we call him? Doubting Thomas. We should be calling him world-changing, believing Thomas. That's what we should be calling him. But we don't because we have that tendency to lock people into their past as their, of their potential. Acts chapter 3, when you see Peter and John walking to the temple to go worship, they're going to the Jewish temple, and there was a man there who'd been there for many years who was paralyzed, couldn't get up and walk. And the religious goers to the Jewish temple walked by every day, and they would give this man some money. Hey, here's some money. Just take some money. You know, go to Wendy's or you know, Burger King or whatever you want to go to and get, get you a sandwich, right? Camel King, whatever they had back then in the first century in the Middle East. I don't know. And they just did that every day, and the man was used to it. But when Peter looked at him, Peter saw potential of a man that could walk, not a man that would remain paralyzed. And he said, rise and walk in the name of Jesus. 
And there's a principle that goes beyond just what happened there with healing. The principle is Peter saw something in that man he didn't even see in himself. And he became a testimony to the glory of Jesus, that Jesus was the Messiah. When you look at people, don't just view them as they are. View them as how they can become. Don't just hold them to their past, but look at their potential in life. Don't let your cynicism that you've seen and you've been hurt by, because you've experienced this. You have been hurt, and your hurt is real. But you have to have that dealt with so you can believe the best for people, right? That you can believe in their potential. That you believe they can do that. And I'm so glad that somebody believed in me in that way. And and here are three ways in which you can do this. And and this is kind of the things that I've narrowed down in my life, that kind of the things that I have to do daily. Because I'm going to tell you, not only am I cautious and skeptical, as I told you earlier, I became a cynic. And so every one of these things I'm going to share with you are things I live the opposite of, that God had to correct in my heart. So how do you see people through potential, not their past? The first one is this. Don't make your current pool of relationships pay for the past ones. I'll say it one more time. Don't make your current pool of relationships pay for the past ones. Meaning that you have people in your life that God wants to put in your life that surround you that want to help you. That God has placed there. But because somebody else hurt you so deeply or you experienced something so many years ago, you're, you're making them pay for it. It could have been that maybe in, in, in your first relationship or early on, you had someone who cheated or somebody who lied or somebody who did something to you that hurt you deeply. And then you meet somebody new who doesn't even know that person. And you will not trust them. They did nothing to you. You're making them pay for what somebody else did. And you can't, if you're going to see people through their potential, if you're going to develop healthy biblical relationships, you've got to allow God to deal with that. Because you're making this person pay what somebody did to you 15, 20 years ago in your life. That's the first thing you have to do. And I remember that, you know, kind of in ministry. I remember planning my first church, the guy who became our worship leader. So he, he, became, he began to lead worship for us. But my first meeting with him, I had uh, coffee with him one night after church. We only did, you know, night church, so we couldn't afford a building. And so afterwards, we went out and had coffee. And I was driving him home because his family was down to one car. His car was in the shop. And I was driving him home, and we were talking. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, well, I don't know if I trust you. Bro, you've heard me preach two sermons. That was that. And he went through all the stuff he went through. And he had legitimate hurt and some really bad things went on, some, some poor decisions and things that had happened. He said, and you know what? You kind of look like him. You know, he, he has a shaved head too. He has a beard. I'm like, wow, okay. Gee, thanks. Um, and then he goes on to say, yeah, and, and when you were preaching, you said something that reminded me of him. So I'm just not sure I can trust you. And I said, hey, look, man, I, I just want to tell you this. I remember we, we, I pulled up to his house. I said, I'm not that guy, and you're making me pay for what he did to you. I should have a clean slate. You shouldn't make me pay for what somebody else that looked like me did. And he's very quiet. He's an, enge- he's an engineer. He was a processor. He said, you're exactly right. He said, you don't deserve that. And there's Siri again with my, my iPad being touched. So we don't need you, Siri. We're good. We're trying to quit. So, um, <laughs> so anyway... I, and, and the crazy thing is, I don't use Siri on my phone because I, I am that, talking about being cynical and skeptical, I don't want people tracking me, right? 
I don't want them to hear anything that I'm saying. I believe they're out there. Our big brother is out there in 1984. I, I'm down a rabbit trail, but I'm just telling you, I believe. So I don't know how to get off my iPad, but I'm going to because it's listening. And how I know is my wife talked about Rothy's shoes. Any ladies know about Rothy's shoes in here? Well, if you don't, then don't, don't look it up because it's, it's addicting. So anyway, she's all about some Rothy's shoes. We talked about it when I took her out for her birthday. And then lo and behold, what's in my Facebook feed? Okay, anyway, so, so anyway, that's weird. I, I digress, guys. There you go. Merry Christmas. So you can't make your current pool pay for the past ones. I mean, I told you my story last week about what happened to me in church world and all the stuff I went through in church world and the things that was like, you're like, would people really do that to an individual? Yes, they did, and they would. You're thinking, wow. But the worst thing I could do is make you pay for what this person did 10 years ago. Is it, would that be unfair to you to do that? And so we can't do that to people in our life. And even if, if you go to, you know, attend, even a church world, we do that. We make the church we attend pay for the church that hurt us. And I think wherever God sends you, you've got to say, Lord, you know what? I'm going to give these guys the benefit. I'm, I'm going to say, you know what? Give them a clean slate and let's see what happens. In your relationships, do that as well. And when you find in your relationship, let me just say this for what it's worth. When you find that you're doing that to someone, just pause and say, you know what? I'm really sorry. I'm making you pay for what Johnny or Susie or Billy, whoever did to me. And I apologize, and, and I'm going to try to get past this because that's what we end up doing to someone. And it's a process to get past it. Here's the second thing we have to do. If Siri doesn't cut me off again, then, then, then we'll be fine. I don't need any help, Siri. Please leave me alone. <laughs> the second thing is this. Give people the same benefit of doubt you give yourself. If you're going to see people through their potential, if you're going to deal with that cynicism, give people the same benefit of doubt that you give yourself. Like, what we do is we judge others by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. So if we don't show up for something, if we forget something, we're like, oh, I'm just forgetful, it's all good. <laughs> like, you let somebody else forget something, it's like off with their heads. They hate me. They don't love me. I knew they were out to get me. And it's like we give people the same. Jesus said, love others as you love yourself. And when somebody else maybe messes up in your life, just get the benefit of the doubt. Don't think the worst case scenario, the first thing that happens. So you know what? I'm going to give them the same benefit of the doubt that I give myself. Because what we do is we're super easy on ourselves, And many times because of cynicism, we're super hard on others. We think we have high expectations for ourselves, but we don't. We actually have pretty low expectations, but high expectations of others. And if they don't meet them, they're going to know it. And we're going to bring them through the ringer. Oftentimes, the people who are the most critical of others are the easiest on themselves. Because they can just go to town on somebody else with all the little things that they didn't do. But if you bring up what they haven't done, you're in trouble. And we say, in marriage, husbands just don't fight that battle. When your wife says, hey, you left your socks out again, never say. This is just, this is free today. Don't say, yeah, but you. Don't, just don't do it. Just don't do it. You'll never win. You'll never win, right? A tie is losing in marriage. You'll never win. So the best thing you can do when that thing, that thing happens, they say, hey, you know what? You left your socks out again, so I'm very sorry, and I'm going to make sure that that doesn't happen again, right? Give others the same benefit of the doubt you give yourself. That's the first thing you want to do. You know, like when I'm driving and somebody cuts me off or somebody's driving like, you know, fast and crazy, here's what I usually do now. And I, I literally think this way. I wonder what they're going through that makes them act this way. 
I wonder what they're going through or they have experienced that's making them act this way. Because whenever I act that way, I want others to be nice to me and forgive me easily, right? Here's the third thing we have to do. If we're, if we're going to deal with that cynicism in our heart, here's the third and final thing is forgive those who hurt you so you can embrace those who can help you. If you don't forgive those who hurt you, you can never embrace those who can help you. And many times we've held on to hurt so long, we don't know how to let people in anymore. Because the last time we did it, what happened? We felt betrayed. We were wronged. Think about the Grinch. You say, well, why are we doing a series on a cartoon? Because people think in narrative, right? That's how we think. He had these beautiful little people called the Who's who could help him. But he kept them away and wanted to destroy them. Why? Because he had been so hurt by something else in his past. You have to forgive what happened then so you can embrace those who can help you now. The greatest illustration I can think of is this. My wife and I went hiking uh, several years ago before we had our son. We were at the Blue Ridge Parkway at Shenandoah. We're hiking, hiking Humpback Rock. Great hike. We love it. One of our favorites. This ledge, he was like walking this ledge. You could tell he was just tattered and like just been through it. And we're watching him and we're like, oh no, like what do we do? How do we help? And he like falls off that ledge. So anyway, um, we, we uh, had told somebody who was going down and they just took off running. We waited with the dog and, and within 30 minutes, there was like a ranger that came up and he come near the dog. And, Cause we try to get near the dog and he just, you know, just angry. Um, didn't have rabies or anything like that, anything crazy, but the park ranger got the dog into the truck and we felt so bad for that dog. We're like, this poor dog, could you imagine what he's been through? And my wife thought, she said, hey, let's, let's adopt this dog. Let's, let's sit, let's sit, yeah, you know, that's, that's what happens. <laughs> I'm thinking as a man, because well, I had one dog, I'm thinking, if I get this dog, it will buy me another three to five years from having a baby. Yes. <laughs> uh, word of advice for men in here, a, a dog will probably buy you a year to two at best. That's as good as it's going to get, Right. So anyway, we, we think about it, and we go up to this dog, and the dog would not let us near it. Snapping, biting, growling. I mean, you know, the ranger had to muzzle him and get him in the back. And we wanted to help this dog and give this dog a brand new life. But we couldn't. Because of whatever had happened and what humans had done to him, he was making us pay for it. Dogs don't really understand the forgiveness thing. But he, that dog couldn't embrace the people who could help him. And that's what we do. That's what I do. That's what you do. Uncheck cynicism. You have people in your life the same way. Or do you want to help them? But they are so hurt from their past, they can't embrace the very thing that's going to help them. This whole series we talked about, you know, kind of just, you know, checking your heart and looking through your heart and tracing it back. Think about how cynicism is affecting your relational life. Think about how it affects your relationships with friends, how it affects your relationships romantically, how it affects your relationships in marriage, how it affects your relationships in church. That's all the church is. People say, I don't like church. It's just people. They all get together. <laughs> you don't like people. That's fine. Just say that. How's it affecting you? And what does God need to do in your life? Because what if, what if you're just like the Grinch and you're keeping the very community away from you the very people away from you 
that could actually give you the most joy in your life and that could help you. I don't know where you're at, but I know God does. And my prayer is the rest of this week, he's going to do some work in your heart. He's going to speak to you. He's going to show you. And here's the cool thing. Next week, I'm not going to leave you hanging about cynicism. We're going to talk about how to cure this thing and what the antidote is. Somebody say, thank you. Amen. Because you're kind of waiting to hear that. Let's pray this morning. God, we need you. We don't pray to close out a service. We pray because we're dependent upon you. Our Father who art in heaven, we need you. Because every one of us have been affected by relationships on some level that is affecting us to this day, God. I pray, God, that you would give us the power to find out, Lord, to, to see in our hearts where cynicism has built up like scar tissue from past hurts in our life. And may we forgive those who hurt us, God, so we can embrace those who help us, Father. May we release those who've hurt us so we can embrace those who, who, who can help us. And God, I pray that every one of us in here that deal with those things in our heart are just like the little dog we, I tried to rescue. They're making the current people pay for what happened in the past. Father, will you minister to every person in here this week by the way of your Holy Spirit? Will you speak to them as they open up the Bible, as they pray, as they check their hearts, as they listen to worship and they're just be spending time with you? Will you not only show them but also help them, God, in this area? And I pray, Father, that we would root out cynicism in this church by the time this series is over in every person's heart and we would live with hope, God especially in relationships. Father, we ask for that help. We need you. We can't do this without you. In Jesus' name. And as we're praying today, church, in this mode of prayer, maybe the one relationship you've kept at a distance is the relationship with God. Maybe you, you come to church and you like church, but you've never really entered into that personal relationship with Jesus. You've never had the greatest relationship ever enter into your life because maybe you were hurt by church. Some of you today are actually making God pay for what people did to you in church. And today, you know you need to give your life to Jesus. You know that you need that relationship in your life more than anything else. For some of you, you walked away from your faith and took a little hiatus and what I love is, no matter how far you go, God never moves. Maybe you did walk away, but today is your day to recommit your faith to Christ right where you're at. For some of you in here, you know for the first time ever, you need to be all in. You need to surrender your life to Christ, that you need this in your life. Whatever your story is, whoever you are in here today, God knows you, and he wants to save you today. If you will, if you're that person in here, if you're those people in here, I want you to make this confession of faith and pray this with me right where you're sitting. You say, God, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me, God, of everybody that I've wronged, every wrong that I've done. I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe he is Christ. I believe he is the only way to heaven. I believe he died on the cross and he rose again on the third day. Not only for the sins of the world, but for my sins personally. God, today I repent. 
and I embrace your full forgiveness. You have forgiven me. Help me to show the same love to others that you have shown me. And it's in Jesus' good name that I pray. Amen.